linguistic Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in the Psychedelic Salon. So, how are you doing today? If you are uh, in a place similar to where my spirit is moving right now, you'll probably say, well, now that I think about it, I'm doing a little better than I was last year this time. And uh, even if it's only a very slight improvement in your state of mind, uh, not necessarily in your physical circumstances, uh, but if it's a slight improvement over where it was a year ago, then uh, I guess we should count our blessings. For what it's worth, uh, I know that we have quite a few fellow saloners scattered all over the Middle East right now, and I want you to know that my, my heart goes out to all of you. Here in the States, we just celebrated a holiday that we call Thanksgiving. But sadly, uh, most of the people in this country just use the day to stuff themselves with far more food than they need for energy, and I'm afraid that uh, not many of them actually stop and think about how much they truly have to be thankful for. But in my case, uh, I did pause and give some thought to all of my fellow saloners and thank the goddess for my great good fortune at being in a position to connect with you here in cyberdelic space. So uh, even if you now find yourself in a difficult situation, uh, whether it be in Baghdad, Berlin, or downtown Chicago, I want you to know that uh, you're not alone. Uh, we're all into this together, you know, and uh, together we will uh, eventually get our species through this rather difficult birth of a new form of human consciousness that we also desperately hope is actually taking place. And in spite of what the corporate media is telling us, uh, in my experience, once fear is removed from the conversation, the great majority of people are just like you and me, and uh, that does give me great hope for our future. Hmm, huh. now I wonder where that came from. I wasn't uh, planning on beginning with such a heavy thought, but... Uh, Maybe that's the vibe that's going around right now, and uh, if so, then uh, let's all give a big smile to the next stranger we see. Uh, even if it doesn't lighten their day, uh, at least they'll walk away wondering what you're thinking about, <laughs> and that can be kind of fun, too. And there are some people who uh, have put a smile on my face this week by making a donation to help with the expenses of keeping these podcasts winging their way through cyberspace. And uh, please, please don't feel obligated to make a donation out of uh, fear that these podcasts won't go on without it. So far this year, uh, we've received enough in donations to keep these podcasts going all of next year. Uh, even with the added expense of steadily increasing our server capacity, I think we're pretty well covered for the next 12 months. So if you have other causes that you want to uh, support, well, please don't feel any sense of obligation to donate to the salon. You are uh, already giving your most valuable asset, and that's your time. And uh, ultimately, that's uh, the gift that actually keeps these podcasts coming. I, uh, I wouldn't be doing this if no one was listening. Or uh, <laughs> on second thought, yeah, I probably would still be producing these programs even then, uh, simply because this is one of the things that gives me the most pleasure out of life. And uh, the other is spending four or five hours a day playing with one of my grandchildren. Uh, I do it in the guise of providing a few hours a day of daycare, but uh, the truth is it's actually my playtime. I don't know why I'm being so long-winded today, uh, but if I don't concentrate on getting this show on the road, we'll never get to today's lecture by Terrence McKenna. So let me first give a great big thank you to uh, James A., Rob P., Anakita K., and to Larry T. for their very generous donations to help offset uh, our future expenses here in the salon. And uh, while it may make Larry T. a little uncomfortable by me saying this, uh, I want to acknowledge his gift as uh, what I consider to be the first actual grant that we've received. Uh, and I didn't even have to do all the paperwork involved in applying for a grant, uh, which is quite fortunate since I no longer have the patience to deal with paperwork. Uh, but, uh, Larry, thank you again for your wonderful gesture. Uh, your gift, uh, along with those of James, Rob, uh, Anakita, and all of the other people who have sent some money our way, will most definitely be put to use on behalf of all of us who gather here in the Psychedelic Salon each week. So, now I hope you're up for a little more of Terrence McKenna. Although I realize that some of our fellow saloners really appreciate talks by Mark Pesci and others, 
I'm uh, kind of in a McKenna state of mind lately, and uh, to be honest, I'm playing these talks more for myself to hear than for you. Sorry about that, uh, but I have to be honest here. Over the past couple of months, uh, a half dozen or more people have sent me discs with uh, some 70-plus McKenna talks that were once online somewhere but uh, have now been taken down for one reason or another. And I'm uh, having a ball previewing these talks, uh, many of which I've never heard before. So I, I hope you'll bear with me for a little while here as I continue getting my weekly McKenna fix. Now, many of these talks, I believe, are uh, actually from studio recordings that were made as money-making enterprises, both for Terrence and for their producers. And I'm not going to play any of those recordings due to the uh, possible copyright problems. But uh, should you come across some of them on the net, uh, I highly recommend listening to them. What I'm concentrating on, however, are the uh, bootleg tapes from lectures he gave at Esalen and other places. And actually, they aren't uh, true bootleg tapes in the normal sense of the word, because uh, at all of the workshops of Terence's that I attended, uh, he always told his audience that it was okay to record his talks uh, as long as they weren't packaged and sold as commercial projects, which is uh, another reason I'm keeping the salon commercial-free and uh, a user-sponsored uh, podcast, so to speak. The talk uh, we're about to hear right now is one you can find in quite a few places under the title, The World and Its Double. But as you might have noticed, uh, I'm calling it The Importance of Psychedelics, which I, uh, I think more accurately describes this lecture. So uh, let's get comfortable, at least as comfortable as you can wherever you happen to be right now, and join the Bard McKenna as he takes us on yet another flight of the imagination into realms that as yet remain little explored by our fellow human beings. Well, um, the world and its double is how we styled this. Uh, this is simply a, a high visibility, flashy way of reminding people whose eyes fall upon that text that uh, the world has a double. The world is not entirely or completely what it seems to be. Culture, and by culture I mean any culture, anywhere, anytime, um, gives you the message that uh, everything is humdrum, everything is normal. In other words, culture denies experience. You know, we all have had, and even a population of non-psychedelic people have had uh, prophetic dreams, intimations, uh, unlikely strings of coincidences, uh, all of these sort of things. These are experiences which cultures deny. Cultures put in place, uh, I'm sure you've heard this word, a paradigm. And then what fits within the cultural paradigm is uh, accentuated, uh, stressed, and what doesn't fit inside the cultural paradigm is denied, marginalized, argued against. And we live at the end of a thousand-year binge uh, on the philosophical position known as materialism in its many guises. And the basic message of materialism is that the world is what it appears to be a thing of, composed of matter and uh, pretty much confined to its surface. The world is what it appears to be. Now, this on the face of it is a tremendously naive position because what it says is the animal body that you inhabit, the eyes you look through, the fingers you feel through, are somehow the ultimate instruments of metaphysical conjecture, which is highly improbable. Uh, it seems to me metaphysical conjecture begins with uh, the logic of the situation and then proceeds in whatever direction that logic will carry you. Well, if logic is true to experience, then... Uh, 
we have to make room in any theory for invisible connectedness between people, anticipation of a future that has not yet occurred, uh, uh, shared dreaming, all kinds of possibilities that materialism has denied. For approximately 500 years, the great era of the triumph of modern science, materialism has had its, had the field all to itself. And its argument for its preeminence was the beautiful toys that it could create, aircraft, railroads, global economies, television, spacecraft. But that is, that is a fool's argument for truth. Uh, I mean, that's, after all, how a medicine show operates, you know. The juggler is so good, the medicine must be even better. Uh, this is not an entirely rational way to proceed. And now, at the end of 500 years of the practice of rational, quote-unquote, scientific culture, we're literally at the end of our rope. Uh, reason and uh, science and uh, the practice of unbridled capitalism have not delivered us into an angelic realm. Quite the contrary. They've delivered 3% of us into an angelic realm completely overshadowed by guilt about what's happening to the other 97% of us who are eating it. Uh, it's not a pretty picture, modern civilization. Most people in the world today are quite miserable, actually. Uh, they have very little hope. Their religions, their traditional value systems are being eroded by uh, Dallas and Hawaii Five-0, which are on the village television every night. Uh, uh, lifespans are being shortened by pesticides, chemicals, all kinds of things in the environment. And, uh, and there is very little political uh, light on the horizon. So I believe that it's reasonable, looking at this situation, to say that history failed and that the grand dream of Western civilization has in fact failed. And now we are attempting with basically a carved wooden oar to turn a battleship around. And it's a very frustrating undertaking. Uh, the momentum for catastrophe is enormous in this situation. Uh, now, what? but it's not a hundred percent certain that catastrophe is what we're headed for because we are not a hundred percent unconscious. There are people struggling to figure out how to control population, struggling to figure out how to balance the relationship between the masculine and the feminine, uh, struggling to bring uh, amelioration of hunger and disease to various parts of the world. So we're in essentially a tragic situation. A tragic situation is a catastrophe when you know it, you see. And uh, part of the Western impulse has been to subjugate all other cultural styles to our own. And this has, has taken the form of actually swallowing and digesting Native American culture, uh, the ethnicity of European culture has been replaced by the megaculture of Nouveau Europa, whatever that means. Uh, cultures are melted down in the belly of the Western scientific beast and then they become structural members in an ever-expanding edifice of Western scientism. However, the psychedelic experience, as practiced by shamans in many, many parts of the world, is uh, apparently a, a bite 
too large to swallow. Psychedelics arrived on the Western uh, agenda only about a hundred years ago when uh, German chemists uh, brought peyote to Berlin and extracted mescaline. And for the next 50 years, up until about 1945, 55 years make it, very little happened. Uh, uh, mescaline did not, though it was taken by Havelock Ellis and, and William James and F. Uh, F. Weir Mitchell, and it did not spawn a craze. It did not influence large numbers of intellectuals uh, particularly. Then in the, in the 40s, LSD was discovered. In the 50s, DMT and psilocybin were discovered. And then in 1966, all these things were made illegal. There was no real opportunity for Western science to grapple with these things before they were decided to be too hot to handle, made not only uh, unavailable to people such as you and I, ordinary people, but taken off the agenda of scientific research. In the Middle Ages, the church forbade dissection of human bodies. And, and medical students would visit battlefields and the gallows at night and steal the bodies of, of victims of war and executed prisoners in order to learn human physiology. Where that spirit of scientific courage has gone, I don't know, but there's very little of it left. Now people feed at the trough of government grants and enormous corporate research budgets, and the idea of actually pursuing truth or attempting to understand the phenomenon in an unbiased fashion, divorced from its commercial, social, and political uh, dimensions, is unheard of. If you look at thousands of these experiences, is they dissolve boundaries. They dissolve boundaries between you and your past, you and the part of your unconscious you don't want to look at, between you and your partner, between you and the feminine if you're masculine and vice versa, between you and the world, all the boundaries that we put up to keep ourselves from feeling our circumstance are dissolved. And, and boundary dissolution is the most threatening uh, activity that can go on in a society. People get very, people meaning government institutions, become very nervous when people begin to talk to each other. Yes, the whole name of the Western game is to create boundaries and maintain them. The church and the state, the poor and the wealthy, the black and the white, the male and the female, the young and the old, the gay and the straight, the living and the dead, the foreign and the familiar, all of these categorical uh, divisions allow a kind of thinking that is completely cockamamie. After all, reality is, in fact, a seamless, unspeakable something. And we understand that to perceive it separately is a necessary... Um, adjunct to the act of understanding, but it is not the end of the program of understanding. The particulate uh, data has to be recombined in a, a paradigm, a seamless overview of what is happening. And uh, the drugs that Western society has traditionally favored have either been drugs which maintain boundaries or uh, drugs which promote mindless, repetitious physical activity on the assembly line, in the slave galley, uh, on the uh, latifundia, the slave-driven agricultural project, whatever it is. In the corporate office. In the corporate office. This is why 
you know, every labor contract on this planet, uh, at least in Western civilization, contains a provision uh, that all workers shall be allowed to use drugs twice a day at designated times, but the drug shall be caffeine. Now, the reason caffeine is so welcome in the workplace is because it the last three hours of the workday are utterly unproductive unless you goose everybody with two cups of coffee and then they can go back to the word processor, the widget tightening machine or whatever they're doing and mindlessly and happily uh, uh, carry on. If it were suggested that there be a pot break twice <laughs> a day, you know, you would think that civilization was striking the iceberg or something. Uh, so, and alcohol, like our, our society has, is an alcohol, red meat, sugar, and tobacco culture. And all of these are forms of, uh, of speed basically, in the way that we use them. I mean, yes, you can tranquilize yourself on alcohol, but you're pushing toward levels where a lifetime of tranquilizing yourself on alcohol will be a short lifetime uh, if you use it that way. So there's a lot of tension in society between uh, uh, the great exploring soul and the assembly line citizen. The citizen is defined by obligation and, uh, and by the boundaries that define you know, the next citizen, either because it's neighbor or worker or employer or something like that. And the grand exploring soul is marginalized as an eccentric or, if necessary, more seriously marginalized as mad in some way. I mean, madness basically, at, up until the level of physical violence, means you are behaving in a way which makes me feel uncomfortable, therefore there's something wrong with you. Uh, <clears throat> yes. So, uh, this, this, now, it's interesting uh, and this is one of the points that's dear to me. I mean, they arrive in different orders each time. But I think of history as a kind of mass psychedelic experience. And the drug is technology. And as technology gets uh, more and more uh, uh, perfected as a mirror of the human mind, the cultural experience becomes more and more hallucinatory. And for at least the past couple of hundred years, boundary dissolution has been underway at every level of Western civilization. I mean, I mean you could push it further back. Uh, the Magna Carta, the, the fact that princes and lords of the realm would actually attempt to force the king's signature on a document defining their privileges. They are, after all, ordinary human beings. The king is the divine appointed uh, regent of God in heaven. So this was a severe boundary dissolution within the context of the age in which it was taking place. They were actually saying, you as Christ's representative on earth should cede some of this omnipotence to us, mere mortals suspended in the political process. Well, that leads then to broader demands for human rights, for uh, the idea that a permanent uh, and large segment of society kept in permanent poverty is unacceptable. We got rid of debtors' prisons and things like this. Uh, uh, as, our, as the collectivity of our humanness becomes an intellectual legacy for all of us, there is a dissolving of boundaries of race, class, status, language, so forth and so on. And the whole of the 20th century has seen a massive acceleration of this. Uh, the breakdown of the Soviet Union was in fact simply 
it was even so described, the lifting of the Iron Curtain, meaning a membrane has suddenly disappeared. And more and more of these membranes are disappearing. And, and what is emerging then is a more and more psychedelic experience, meaning a sense of acceleration of information flow, a sense of rising ambiguity about what it all means. Everything seems to carry both a, a good facet and a detrimental facet. The ambiguity of everything is increasing. The connectedness of everything is increasing. And I will argue later in the day that this is a general tendency of the time and space in which we are embedded and that we ourselves are uh, a reflection of this. Where is life carrying us? What is this all about? Uh, is it carrying us toward extinction so that the rest of nature can heave an enormous sigh of relief and then get back to the business of nest building, uh, mating flight, and oviposturing and whatever it is that they're doing out there? Uh, or is it carrying us toward um, some kind of a transition? If you look back through the history of life, which is a long history, I mean, it reaches back uh, a billion years, it's every advance happens suddenly unpredictably and in a very short period of time. Some of you who stay tuned to the scientific literature may have noticed this series of articles that were around last week about what they're calling the Big Bang of Biology. That uh, there was a period of time, incredibly brief, perhaps between a million and ten million years, when all the phyla of life on this planet radiated into existence sometime between 525 and 535 million years ago. Just it all snapped into existence. Uh, the, the episode in w which life left the sea is a similar highly confined transition event. Uh, people uh, recently have written about what they call punctated or punctuated evolution. Evolution is not apparently a slow curve of unfoldment. It is instead a series of equilibrium states punctuated by violent fluctuations in between and then a new equilibrium state. So uh, history I believe, is not an aberration any more than leaving the sea could be called an aberration of marine existence. I mean, obviously, it is not marine existence, and obviously, we are not living in the same world as groundhogs and hummingbirds psychologically. But leaving the sea did not represent uh, uh, an ontological transition. It represented an extremely dramatic shift of modality. And this is what history is. History is characterized by its brevity, for one thing. I mean, we have packed more change into the last 10,000 years than the billion years which preceded it. I mean, we, and yet as entities, as animals, meat, we have not changed at all in 10,000 years. If you were to go back to uh, that era, the people would be exactly like people we see today. They wouldn't be so racially heterogeneous because the great gene streamings and migrations that characterize history had not yet taken place. But essentially, perfectly modern people well, then history is apparently, if we view it as a process that nature tolerates, if not encourages, 
then history is essentially, apparently, uh, important enough to place the to jeopardize the stability of all the rest of the uh, natural ecosystemic world. Uh, it's as though nature is saying we are willing to place the entire planetary ecology in danger for 50,000 years in order for the opportunity to be explored of language using, technologically expressing intelligence carrying all of life to the next level. And it's a terrifying enterprise because apparently to carry life to the next level Tremendous intellectual sophistication is required about the release and control of energy. The problem is energy can be used to destroy as well as build. So as the human enterprise has moved toward greater and greater power and ability to manipulate the environment, the stakes in the cosmic game have risen. And now what we have is approximately $100 billion sitting in the center of the crap table and one roll of the dice more and we're going to either win it or lose everything because intelligence, if we fail, will never again reach the kind of levels on this planet that we have reached. Why? Because we have extracted all the available metals near the surface of the earth. A, an evolving species following after us will find the earth strangely depleted of usable materials down to the 1500 foot level. And so intelligence coming beyond us will find it just does not have the resources to make the leap to technical civilization. So it's beginning to look like a one-shot deal. And the psychedelics are in there for two reasons. First of all, because they allow us as individuals to break out of the flat cultural illusion and to rise up and look at this situation. So it's for us a tool to understand our predicament but the psychedelics are also um, what has driven this circumstance to arise in part because what psychedelics do, and I think this isn't too challengeable, uh, is they catalyze imagination. They drive you to think what you would not think otherwise. Well, notice that the enterprise of human history is nothing more than the fallout created by strange ideas. You know, let's build a pyramid, let's build a windmill, let's build a water wheel, you know, and then empires, uh, philosophies, religions arise in the wake of these situations. I've argued in the past, and I'm going to try not to repeat it here today because I think you've all heard it, but I will just mention it in a sentence or two, that the critical catalyst propelling us out of the slowly evolving hominid line and caused us to take an orthogonal right-hand turn into culture, language, art, yearning, uh, probably was the inclusion of psychedelic plants in our diet during that episodic moment when we went from being fruititarian canopy dwellers to omnivorous pack-hunting creatures of the grassland. And it was the inclusion of psilocybin in our grassland diet that caused us to discover that there is a mind and you can perturb it. I mean, think about... Uh, I mean, I don't think you could discover consciousness if you didn't perturb it because, as Marshall McLuhan said, whoever discovered water, it certainly wasn't a fish. Well, we are fish swimming in consciousness, and yet we know it's there. Well, the reason we know it's there is because if you perturb it, then you see it. And you perturb it, 
by perturbing the engine which generates it, which is the mind-brain system resting behind your eyebrows. If you uh, swap out the ordinary chemicals that are running that system uh, uh, in an invisible fashion, then you see it's like dropping ink into a, a bowl of clear water. Suddenly the convection currents operating in the, in the clear water become visible because you see the particles of ink tracing out the previously invisible dynamics of, of the standing water. The mind is precisely like that and the psychedelic is like a dye marker being dropped into this aqueous system. And then you say, oh, I see. It works uh, like this and like this. Well, <coughs> if psychedelics are a catalyst for the imagination, and if history is driven by the imagination, it is driven through the fallout from the imagination, which is technology and culture. Technology and culture is uh, are the consequences, the derivatives of the um, ratiocination of the mind. And technology has, like biological life, but on a much faster or accelerated time frame, uh, technology has this weird tendency to transcend itself, to bootstrap itself, you know, if you, have a, if you have a cart, then it implies better wheels, better bearings, better structure, and then higher speed, more control, more feedback from the machine. That means we need gas gauges, RPM readouts, uh, so forth and so on. Technology, uh, strangely enough, created by a biological creature, has itself this self-transcending quality, but ever-accelerating. This is the important point, because the ever-accelerating um, accretion of technology means that history is strangely foreshortened at the future end because it happens faster and faster. It's like a process that begins very slowly, but once started has the quality of a cascade, every, or you know, the rate at which falling bodies move, 32 and a half feet per second, per second. Each second it accelerates to twice the rate of infall that was occurring in the previous second. Technology is like this. And we now are in a domain where if we attempt to propagate uh, technological development forward 50 years, it becomes unmanageable as an as a intellectual task. We can talk about the automobile, what it might look like 50 years from now. It would float, it would go 500 miles an hour, it would be guided by your mind, so forth and so on. Uh, these kinds of ideas. But when you think that every artifact of our world will undergo that kind of transformation and that the synergy among these transformed objects will create phenomena and situations that we can't anticipate. That's the key thing. Our inability to anticipate the synergies between our technologies. I mean, the computer, LSD, spacecraft, holograms, uh, s organic superconductivity. Uh, those are just six areas where the integration of those concerns will produce unimaginable consequences, yeah. Uh, the, the ultimate boundary dissolution is the dissolution of ego. I mean, we hope, we straight people hope that they never meet it except at death. Of course, they don't realize going to sleep at night is a kind of ego dissolution. But uh, uh, it, it, 
the government is expressive of this dominator culture that we're living in. The ego is a very recent invention and its hold on reality is very tenuous and consequently it walks around imbued with fear. I mean, it feels itself to be a mouse in a world of dinosaurs. That's because it's a very recent uh, development. Uh, I guess I have to go back to this scenario of human development and say just very briefly, here's how I think this worked. Um, I'm not going to run through the whole evolutionary scenario, but this thing about ego. Um, the All primates are uh, have what are called dominance hierarchies. That simply means that the hard-bodied, long-fanged young males kick everybody else around. They control the females, uh, the children, homosexuals, the elderly, everybody is taking orders from this dominance hierarchy. And this is true clear back into squirrel monkeys. It's a generalized feature of primate behavior. And it's an aspect of our behavior as we sit here. Women, the feminine is not honored. The elderly are marginalized. Homosexuals, that's a, that whole issue. Uh, uh, many of our social and political ills stem from this attitude. Well, but you see, I believe that when we left the trees and admitted psilocybin into our diet, that it has the effect of dissolving boundaries and making this maintenance of a dominance hierarchy very, very difficult. Uh, first of all, the key on one level to maintaining the dominance hierarchy is monogamous pair bonding. That's where it begins. Uh, if in in a society taking a lot of psilocybin, monogamous pair bonding breaks down because of CNS activation and it, uh, sexual arousal. So in a psilocybin using culture, there will be a tendency to orgiastic sexual behavior rather than monogamous pair bonding. What that does is it causes... Uh, an incredible social cohesion because in an orgiastic society men cannot trace lines of male paternity so men's attitude toward children is these children are all ours we the group it's a glue that we in our paranoid social style with everybody having the deed to their property and their 11 high, foot high fence can hardly imagine. But psilocybin was artificially suppressing this dominator behavior style in the primate, the evolving proto-hominid, now hominid, now human being. When psilocybin was taken out of the diet, the old, old primate program was still there. It had not been bred out. The genes were always there. It's just that for 50,000 or 100,000 years, we medicated ourselves, literally religiously. We religiously medicated ourselves every new and full moon, perhaps oftener. These orgies were happening, creating social cohesion, uh, propagating everybody forward. The problem was... When the psilocybin was taken away, we had been under its influence for perhaps half a million years. We had evolved language, rudimentary, abstract philosophy, a sense of religion. We had invented technology in the form of using fire and chipping flint and all that. The psilocybin goes away and suddenly these skills these tools, these technologies are in the hands of marauding apes. Not anymore. 
cohesive, uh, 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 caring human social groups, but uh, marauding territorial apes driven by the desire to control all weaker members of the social group. And that's our circumstance. We have, you know, the tools that would allow us to sculpt paradise, but we have the reflexes and value systems of, uh, of uh, anthropoid apes of some sort. So uh, the split between our conscious hopes, our best foot, and the bottom of the human scale is appalling. I mean, look at the look at the spread. It's a spread from uh, well, from Mother Teresa to serial killers. I mean, you don't get serial killers in the chipmunk population or the or, or the grasshopper population. I mean, these animals are not so set at variance with their basic nature that these kinds of pathologies can uh, erupt. We, on the other hand, are half-angel, half-pack-hunting killer ape. I mean, we're an object-fetish society. I mean, our entire psychology is characterized by a profound discontent. That's what we're about. It doesn't matter. No matter what's going on, after a little while, we get restless and move on. Other animal species are embedded in a kind of world of endless genetic cycling. It, no, no, no fox go, grows bored with hunting, uh, you know. And yet, our our thing is a profound dis-ease, and I believe it's because. And slowly, you forced me to do this whole rap, which I swore I wouldn't do, uh, I, I believe it's because uh, the psilocybin led us halfway toward a kind of godhead, but then it disappeared and we are left in this very peculiar situation. This is the myth of the fall. You know, we are half angel, half beast. And these two natures are united in every one of us. And when you take psilocybin, you feel generally a great sense of community, an ascent to a higher level. Uh, if you uh, completely restrict your, your uh, intake of intoxicants of any sort, then you get the teetotaler type personality, which is characterized by incredible uh, smugness, limited intellectual horizons, and an unbearable aura of self-congratulation uh, that makes it pretty hard for the rest of us to, uh, to put up with. Yes, yeah. See, here, here is the final piece of this evolutionary key. Psilocybin, in small amounts, increases visual acuity. This is not an arguable point. I mean, you can just give people psilocybin and give them eye tests, and people with astigmatism see better. You can, your edge detection ability is greatly increased. Well, you can see that an animal like our remote ancestors in a hunting environment in the grassland if there's an item of diet that will make you a better and more efficient hunter, the equivalent of chemical binoculars lying around on the grassland, those animals that avail themselves of this technology will be more successful hunters. And, uh, and so it was. Psilocybin animals using psilocybin were more successful at raising their offspring to reproductive age. Well, then at slightly higher doses, you get this CNS arousal, which in highly sexed animals such as primates, arousal means sexual arousal and erection in the male. So then 
there's a, and without the overwhelming influence of Christian ethics to guide their behaviors, I'm sure these organisms simply flopped in a heap uh, and uh, you know sorted it all out later. So, so that's the middle range of the dosage. Low dose success in hunting, medium dose social cohesion achieved through ego dissolution and orgiastic sexuality. Yet higher doses, uh, five grams and up, uh, hunting is out of the question, <laughs> sex is out of the question, you're just nailed to the ground by the campfire, and in the course of the evening you discover religion. Uh, philosophy, art, and, uh, you know, all of that. So, so here is a unique chemical uh, that at, at every dose level synergizes activity that leads to uh, greater coherency and, uh, and uh, self-expression. The, the driving of the imagination Yes, in the question back here, you said we can't create what we can't conceive of. This is why what the psychedelic experience does, really, is it stretches the envelope of the imaginable. I mean, what can be imagined can be created. What cannot be imagined is not part of the play. So psilocybin really uh, was a stimulant for the production of uh, intellectual product in the form of songs, rituals, dances, body painting, abstract ideas. Uh, all of these things have, are, are what we are most unique. Well, that's how it seemed to me. It seemed to me culture is a shabby lie or at least this culture is a shabby lie. I mean, if you, if you work like a dog, you get 260 channels of bad television and a German automobile. Uh, you know, what, what kind of perfection is that? Our, we have uh, our secular society, religion is uh, completely devalued uh, and Ob consumer object fetishism is the only kind of worth that we collectively recognize. I'm sure you've all seen the t-shirt that says, he, notice he, who dies with the most toys wins. Uh, that is, in fact, the banner under which we're flying here. And the level of unhappiness is immense. I mean, the level of unhappiness among the poor They've always been miserable, but we've managed to create something entirely new in human history, an utterly miserable ruling class. I mean, there seems no excuse for that. Aren't those last words so true? The, the ones where he said, it seems to me that culture, at least this culture, is a shabby lie. Well, I could go on at length right now about the horrors of American culture, uh, which include alcohol, television, and conspicuous consumption, but my guess is that you've already figured that out for yourself. Hopefully, uh, enough people will also figure that one out on their own before the uh, final roll of the dice that Terrence just mentioned. Now, it dawned on me when he was uh, talking just now about his hypothesis of how the apes came down from the canopy and began eating psilocybin mushrooms, which subsequently acted to catalyze early human consciousness, that uh, some of our fellow Saloners may not have uh, had the opportunity to hear his uh, complete, detailed description of this idea. And uh, so I'm going to uh, dig out a recording of a talk where he goes into that concept in greater detail, and uh, I'll play it here in the salon in order to give you a better understanding of how he came to this uh, somewhat startling conclusion. Now, uh, for a little news that has recently come across my desk that uh, you might not have noticed, and that has to do with uh, some rather shady characters who are passing themselves off as uh, Iowa Scarrows, but uh, who actually are demented criminals. Uh, 
A couple of days ago, I received an email from an elder who uh, I have a great deal of respect for, and he told me that there is uh, a man operating out of North Carolina and uh, advertising ayahuasca experiences in reputable publications such as uh, Shaman's Drum, but uh, who are not true ayahuascaros. And uh, this particular person, so the story goes, uh, is that uh, he's been making uh, sexual advances to a woman immediately after uh, conducting ayahuasca ceremonies and uh, at a time when they are particularly vulnerable to such attacks. And make no mistake about it, coming on to someone during or immediately after a medicine ceremony is an attack in every sense of the word. Now, since I don't have any first-hand information about this person, I'm not going to give his name. However, I feel that it's important to bring this to your attention and let you know that everyone who gets involved with our sacred medicines is uh, not of necessarily a pure spirit. And the day after I received uh, this very disturbing email, I received uh, the following email from Dennis McKenna, who said, Yes, uh, it's a pity, but this kind of thing goes on all the time. Even the traditional Iowascaros do this. As my friend Alan Shoemaker in Iquitos says, they all do it. That doesn't make it right, and uh, in fact, they don't all do it. One more reason to respect Eduardo Luna's integrity. He provides a safe environment where anyone, man or woman, knows they are in good hands, protected and safe. He would never do shit like this. And, of course, uh, Andrina would kick his butt if he even tried. <laughs> And Dennis continues, I don't know what the answer is here. There is no board of shamanic integrity to separate the predator charlatans from the real ones. I guess all we can do is make sure the word about these jerks get out and is spread far and wide. So uh, there you have it. Please be very cautious, my friends, when you place yourself in the hands of someone who you know little about. It's still a dangerous world out there, uh, even uh, in the psychedelic community, at least for the time being. And this brings me to something else I want to say about the ayahuasca experience that Max Freakout has been talking about in his excellent podcast, Psychonautica, which you can find at dopefiend.co.uk. As you know, I've had uh, nothing but high praise for Max and the valuable information he provides, but as I've mentioned before, there is uh, one area in which we have a major disagreement, and that is on the use of ayahuasca. Now, uh, while listening to his recent program, number 20, I made a few notes about what I wanted to say about where our opinions differ. And uh, now I find it uh, quite ironic that the story of sexual predators uh, came to me at this time. You see, uh, where Max and I part company on this issue is that I uh, very strongly believe that a true, genuine, authentic ayahuasca experience must be done in a small group and be guided by the singing of vicaros by a skilled ayahuascaro. And now I have to admit that uh, Max's intuition about letting someone else have control, uh, any control at all over an experience like that, uh, well, his uh, intuition seems to be well-grounded uh, when you're uh, seeking an experience of this nature. In fact, uh, a while back on KMO's Sea Realm podcast, uh, he played a recording from two different ayahuasca sessions he attended last summer while in the Amazon. And to be honest, the uh, first experience he had sounded uh, more like a cut from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre than anything even remotely resembling an ayahuasca ceremony. And I still shudder to think that people are being exposed to such horror and come away thinking that they know something about the vine. Nonetheless, I want to be sure to distance myself from uh, most of what Max said about ayahuasca in his Psychonautica number 20. In my humble opinion, there was, uh, there was a lot of bad information passed on in that program. And one example is when he compared DMT to psilocybin by saying that uh, they weren't all that different from one another because their chemicals' names uh, kind of sounded alike. Now, I don't mind people giving their opinion about things, but uh, that opinion is so far off base that uh, <laughs> I actually began to laugh when I heard it. So while I have uh, given my blessing to Max and his program, I want to make it very clear that I in no way support his opinions about ayahuasca, a sacred medicine which he admits he has never used. Uh, you know, this is serious and uh, potentially dangerous business. 
And over and above all of the other sacred medicines, uh, I think ayahuasca should be very, very respected. Because if you don't respect Lady Ayahuasca, uh, you might be in for a lifetime of trouble. So uh, go slowly here, very slowly, and uh, tread lightly, my friends. There's no need to be in a rush to have this experience, and uh, I still remain convinced that if and when the time is right for you, uh, well, she'll find you. It just seems to work that way. Now, while I'm uh, thinking about Psychonautica, I also want to say something about my dear friend Dope Fiend, who is the beautiful spirit behind the Cannabis Podcast Network, which is the uh, collection of podcasts that you'll find at dopefiend.co.uk. And to keep this brief, uh, I'd like to suggest that you listen to his podcast number 103, for there's uh, a wealth of wisdom in that program. And I'll have more to say about uh, some of those issues that uh, Dope Fiend raises, uh, but I'm going to save them for a later podcast and give you a chance to listen to that particular show first so that uh, you have a little background for what I'd like to discuss. And <laughs> I seem to have gotten uh, a little heavy here, and I didn't mean to bring you down, but there are times when we've uh, got to take the bull by the tail and face the situation, if you know what I mean. And even though his podcast 103 begins with a heavy trip, uh, it quickly moves into music and light. Uh, I think you'll enjoy it, and uh, you'll most certainly come away from it with uh, something worth thinking about. Now let's get on to some fun stuff. First of all, if uh, you are a contributor to the very important website, erowid.org, that's E-R-O-W-I-D.org, You've already received uh, the latest copy of Arrowwood Extracts, which uh, always comes packed with great information. In fact, I think I mentioned this recently, but their uh, current issue has several excellent articles about the varieties of the nicotine experience and about absinthe, which uh, now seems to be making its way back into the world. But one of the little tidbits in that issue that I would have uh, missed otherwise is the fact that in the latest edition of the Oxford English Dictionary, the word entheogen has at long last been added. So congratulations to Jeremy Bigwood, Jonathan Ott, Carl Ruck, Danny Staples, and R. Gordon Wasson for coining that word. It's good to know that the uh, straight world now recognizes it. As I mentioned a few weeks back, Little Elf and Erock X1 have set up a MySpace page for the salon, uh, which you can find at myspace.com slash psychedelic salon, all one word. And I'm now, at long last, uh, starting to get up to speed with MySpace. And so I want to thank them and all of the new friends who are linking to us on MySpace. Uh, quite frankly, I'm blown away by all of you. And uh, Spangle, the Shaman, and Grateful Dead, hey, I love your music and have some of your CDs uh, that I've had for years now. And as for uh, great music, that also goes for uh, my friends Vav Ohm, Lunatinker, The Sun Blindness, Ethno Super Lounge, Imperian Imaggio, DJ Mystery, Indica Tricome Project, Shaman's Path, Audiolizer, DJ Dream Code, Salvia Sound System, Primacide 2, Tiesto, Brian Metcalf, The Delusions, Daft Punk, Grackle, Salvia Sound System, Utah Saints, and Cy Shrek. And I've probably pronounced some of your names improperly, and I apologize for that. But I've, uh, I've spent some time listening to at least one of each of your tracks on MySpace and found it all quite enjoyable. Incredible, actually. And uh, I've been returning to some of your pages for extended listening when I get the time. You know, it's nice to visit your pages late in the evening when I'm kind of run down and need to get re-energized by your wonderful music. You all have uh, opened me up to a world of new music, and I thank you for that from the bottom of my heart. And uh, thanks to all of you for connecting with us in MySpace. Uh, you've made this old guy feel young once again. And if I've missed any other musical groups, uh, please forgive me, but I'll continue to uh, visit each of my friends' uh, MySpace pages, and uh, I'll eventually find you. And by the way, uh, until a few weeks ago, I hadn't actually spent uh, much time on MySpace, but... Now that I've visited all of my friends' pages, I, I have to say how impressed I am with the enormous creativity that has gone into your work. And thank you all for the comments you've left. While I'm uh, not quite up to speed on responding to them online, uh, I want you to know that I've read them all and really appreciate you taking the time to add a comment to our page. Uh, 
And uh, also, I want to thank those artists who have added some of your artwork to our page. Wow, you guys, uh, you guys really blow me away. And uh, so that you know, I do make a point of visiting each and every one of my friends' pages on MySpace, uh, even if it's only for a few minutes. But doing so has given me a much better idea of who some of our fellow saloners are. In fact, uh, if you're interested in getting a better idea of who a few of the people are who also are listening to these podcasts, uh, just go to our MySpace page and uh, check out some of our friends. And I, I say our friends because as fellow saloners, they're your friends too. And what a wonderfully talented group of friends we have. Well, I'm, I'm really greatly honored by you uh, connecting with the Psychedelic Salons page. One last thing I want to mention is that I've begun podcasting on a new channel as well. So in addition to the Psychedelic Salon, I now have another program simply called The Matrix Cast. It's uh, going to be a while before I submit it to iTunes, and so for now the only way you'll be able to listen to it is go to www.matrixcast, that's all one word, M-A-T-R-I-X-C-A-S-T dot com, and uh, download it from there. Or, if you uh, prefer, you can stream it online from that site as well. My first program is now out, and it's a conversation that Bruce Damer and I had late one November night in 2006. Now, the reason for this new podcast channel is uh, so that I can make available to you uh, some talks and conversations that fall more uh, into the realm of the down-to-earth physical world. While in the salon, I intend to keep the topics more on the philosophical and metaphysical ideas that often arise in the minds of people after they've used our sacred medicines or achieved similar insights through trance dance, meditation, and other techniques that uh, boost our everyday consciousness to a slightly higher plane. So if you're uh, interested in things like harnessing asteroids, moon bases, the extinction of species, and uh, a wide range of other topics that our corporate media tries to keep hidden from your view, well, just cruise over to the Matrix cast and uh, give it a listen. And before I go, I want to mention that this and all of the podcasts from the Psychedelic Salon are protected under the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 License. And if you have any questions about that, just uh, click on the Creative Commons link at the bottom of the Psychedelic Salon webpage, which you can find at psychedelicsalon.org. And if you have any questions, comments, complaints, or suggestions about these podcasts, well, please add them as comments to the program notes on the psychedelicsalon.org blog so that our entire community can get involved in these discussions. Or you can also uh, post your thoughts on the Psychedelic Salon forum, which you'll find at the Grow Report. Dot com, uh, where I also spend some of my online surfing time each week. And for now, this is Lorenzo signing off from Cyberdelic Space. Be well, my friends. Remaining in the